Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier. Uh, this is brought to you by LSM Latvian Public Media. Uh, one of the good things about living in Latvia uh, is that most people you speak to, they have uh, more than one string to their bow, as it were. Uh, so it's not unusual to find someone who is a farmer and a conductor of a choir, for instance. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite examples of this is um, a little, well, it's slightly larger than a kiosk, between a kiosk and a shack in Argenskalms, and it advertises the two things that you can get inside this uh, kiosk, one of which is bookkeeping services, and the other is haircuts. And uh, I, I think this is a very positive aspect of, of living in Latvia. But even by Latvian standards, my guest in the pod today has multiple bows. He's got enough to launch a full-scale assault on a castle, I think. His name is, well, he even has two names, presumably because uh, so many different talents are represented. In Latvian, he's Toms Kreitzbergs, and he's perhaps better known as Tom Crosshill. Tom is a writer, but he also has multiple other in interests, not least in financial services. So welcome to the pod, Tom. Hello. Should, would you prefer Tom or Tom's? I guess Tom. Um, in English, Tom is fine. <laughs> and yeah, maybe you could just give us a little bit about your background because you have an interesting uh, and you know, international tale to tell. Sure. So in my everyday life, uh, I'm uh, the CEO of a new pension fund called Indexo here in Latvia. But uh, I perhaps became more publicly known here in Latvia as a writer. I... Uh, write all sorts of things like science fiction. I had a novel called The Cattle Express, which was about Siberia and Wall Street, which was not science fiction. So um, various different genres uh, in Latvian and in, well, I write in English, but I've been published in Latvian and English and in some other languages as well. Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about some of your some of your works. I mean, most particularly the Cattle Express, which I, I read not too too long ago and very much enjoyed. It's a really unusual book, I think, in the most positive way of saying that, in that, uh, I mean, it's clearly quite strongly autobiographical. Could you just give us a little pricey of what it's about um, and maybe the writing process? So the Cattle Express is a novel about this Latvian emigre who was making his way on Wall Street after graduating college. And it's also about his grandmother's experience in Siberia during World War II and afterwards. It's not exactly autobiographical, but uh, it does draw on a lot of um, experiences I've had and environments I've known, both in the States uh, and here in Latvia. It also draws on some of my family's background, but like none of the people are people from my life. So it's not, not autobiographical biographical in that sense. But I, th I think it is, I mean, the strap line I think is great for it, which is a novel about Wall Street and Siberia. Yep. And at that point, you know, you, you kind of have me hooked because these are two such different, you know, different ideas as well as different locations on opposite sides of the world. How is it that you managed to connect these two things? So this was actually very important to me to not get wrong because uh, the easy, easier thing and, and the, well, the dangerous thing or not a wrong th approach would have been to draw some equivalency b between the two, which is, you know, mm. do you have some things happening over here on Wall Street, then you have some things happening uh, in this Siberia story and you draw some parallels. 
and that's not really i mean that's not really appropriate the the siberian experience was far worse than you know any machinations or anything you might see on wall street but if i might just interject i mean it, it, it by the siberian experience you mean you know deportations of people yes. from the baltic states during the late uh, 1940s right exactly yeah what i wanted to show is how some young latvian person today who is very much international and you know and kind of emigre or working abroad uh, and how our uh, view of life today is influenced by our countries and our families various histories um, and the experiences of deportation and occupation and all these things and how we can kind of draw on those family histories to you know find strength and uh, and uh, find insight uh, today for our lives it struck me as uh, being quite a brave book in a lot of ways because you know so many Latvian families and indeed Russian families and 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 Estonian Lithuanian families are affected by uh, deportations. That pe- it's a very sensitive subject still, and to tackle it to tackle it in fiction at all is quite a brave thing to do. But also, I think to do it in a way that does have this other aspect, you know, the modern Wall Street angle. That was quite a brave thing to do. I'm interested in how did one grow out of the other? Did did you start writing a book about your experiences or the experiences of your protagonist rather on Wall Street and the, the Siberian thing came in or were you looking at a way into exploring the Siberian experience and realized that it was tied up with your own experience? Well, it was one of these things where I was looking for my next subject and I realized I know some writers who can constantly be writing books one after the other and they never run out of ideas. I don't run out of ideas either, but I can't write most of them. Like, I don't care about most of them. So I need to some, find something that really resonates. So when I found this one, this kind of like, both of these topics were, of course, of interest to me. Um, and, and when I like kind of saw this way to connect them a bit, uh, yes, of course, in a way, you know, it's it was scary. Uh, and But, you know, at the same time, that feeling is what tells you that maybe it's worth writing about. Mm-hmm. That this is, if it's not scary at all, if it, if it doesn't affect you, then it's probably not going to affect the reader either. And what sort of reactions have you had to it? I mean, we should mention at this point that it's it's uh, been very popular. It's been top of the sales charts here in Latvia, uh, has appeared in both English and Latvian, as you mentioned. Uh, have you had readers contact you uh, giving comment? Uh, sure. And mo- mostly the feedback has been positive. Some people have objected to some parts. Um, I mean, some pe- uh, some political aspects of it or, or some part of the Siberia angle, but really mostly the reaction has been uh, very positive. And I did work very hard to make, for example, the hist- historical parts as um, kind of accurate as possible, both um, talking to my grandparents and also working a bit with Zintra Gekka and, and like she has chronicled so many interviews with survivors of Siberia and, and I, I drew on that that material quite a lot. So I'm grateful to her and all the people who um, you know entrusted their experiences to her. Uh, so I, I really uh, worked very hard to make that accurate. And I mean the same thing about Wall Street and some colleagues who, um, former colleagues who read it and they said it's like reading about their daily lives. So I, I wanted to do something that was very realistic and not an exaggeration because mostly when you watch movies or read books about Wall Street, there's a lot of exaggeration. Like, And I wanted to kind of give a sense of what it's really like for just an average guy on Wall Street, not some big shot running everything. Yeah, because uh, I, mean, I suppose there's no... There's, there's 
no, nothing self mythologizes itself quite as much as Wall Street and you know the whole Masters of the Universe thing where everyone is 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 apparently you know human plus 10 in some sort of respect and you indeed there are characters who are kind of playing that role in in uh, your book and it's in a way the contrast between their facade and the insecurities that the uh, peter the central character has that uh, is, is where some of the interest lies uh, just before i gave my own little critique of the book because i i found something very interesting i thought in it did your the research that you did for the Siberian sections, did that change your preconceived ideas of what was involved or the historical forces at all? Or was it a case of, you know, this just kind of confirms what I've known for a long time? I mean it it definitely changed the way I look at looked at it. And I mean, just you read about it in history books in school and it doesn't really feel real. Mm. But then you talk to people who went through it and you read about it a lot and and you realize, you know, these were real people. That time was as real as today is. And and when you think about geopolitical events and concerns today, I mean, we think, we tend to think, oh, the world is civilized now and everything's all right. But it's not true. In many parts of the world, things as bad or worse are happening today and, and they could happen here again. And when you, when you kind of connect with the history in a more real way, then you kind of understand that and, and you lose some of your kind of calm uh, your feeling of oh you know we're fine i'm just gonna work for however many decades and save <laughs> some money and you know and, and then you have this bigger picture of that's not necessarily you know life isn't necessarily gonna let you do it that way uh, you shouldn't count on too much yeah there's definitely a sort of uh, hubris of the contemporary isn't there in that we tend to feel that in the present tense, we're somehow the finished article or that we're smarter or that we're more insightful or that we've learned the lessons from history right. and that history is sort of people making mistakes, but now we're the ones who don't make mistakes. Whereas I think maybe the last couple of years have really reminded us yeah. that that's not the case and that we're, we're prey to all the faults. When I was reading uh, the Cattle Express, it took me a while to kind of get a handle on what it was about because it was about so many different things. And uh, I just wanted to give you my pet impression really was that i came to the conclusion that it was really about creation and creativity in that uh, peter he sets out very consciously setting out to create himself in a certain way you know as top of the class as the guy who's going to get things done as the guy who's going to match these other people who who are supposedly superior to him either intellectually or financially or so on and uh he goes to Wall Street, which is supposedly creating huge amounts of wealth. And he, without wanting to be pat, he realizes that maybe the things which he had slightly ignored or disdained, the creation of a family, the creation of a nation, things like that, become more important as this uh, early idea of creation kind of diminishes. And, and that was my take on it. Would that be a fair reading, do you think? I think any you know thoughtful reading is a fair reading. Uh, and maybe I didn't think about it in quite those terms when I was writing it, but uh, I definitely view it as a as a kind of Bildungsroman, like this, you know, mm -hmm. this, uh, well, young adult or in literary terms, like commercial terms, you would say new adult, perhaps, so post-college um, 
coming to grips with who he is and, and his place in the world and his moral compass and and all these other things and um so uh there's definitely a lot of that like creating yourself and then uh, seeing how history is created how a peoples uh, and how a nations and the countries uh inner conflicts and uh, are created uh so i mean there's definitely an aspect of that and uh, but uh, i think in that sense probably a lot of similarities also with the other uh, with the next book i pu- published which is uh, the cat king of havana uh, which is uh, about cuba uh, but this but is for deals, young adults yeah. it's for young 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 adults yes but it deals with a lot of uh, perhaps themes themes that have some kind of resonance with the themes in the cattle express it's not nearly as dark but still and did your uh, your love of uh, salsa dancing uh, presumably informed this as well sure of course i uh, first went to cuba without dancing anything but i uh, really fell in love with dance after that trip and it took over my life and i spent a long time living in cuba and dancing and all that informed uh, informed the book and the first time i met you while we while we i've just thrown in the, the whole salsa dancing thing um i met you the, for the first time last year at a, a, a um an interview with several writers of which you were taking part and uh i was looking at my notes earlier on today uh for the notes i made then and it said license to operate a nuclear reactor <laughs> i'd forgotten all about that so this is another of the strings uh, that you have that was uh, <laughs> i i had a license for a brief while in college to, we had a at, at my school reed college in portland oregon we had a nuclear reactor and students were able to like we did a year long course uh, uh training uh, to get a license so people from the nuclear regulatory commission would fly in and examine us and it was quite a big deal so i got that license and i worked there for a while uh, but uh, it was fairly short lived but it was a very uh, interesting experience <laughs> So if you do need a salsa dancing literary uh pensions expert uh to, then you're definitely the guy. We'll talk about the other aspect uh, in a moment the 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 pensions after a little break but first I just wanted to ask are you working on uh, another book right now? So uh, I have a lot of ideas but at this current moment uh, Indexo this pension enterprise is uh, taking up all my <laughs> daytime hours and a lot of my nighttime hours so there's really no time uh, to write. Okay, we'll be back talking about Indexo in a minute. I would urge people if you get a chance to um check out uh, Tom's uh, website with links to his uh, various literary works. Um the sci-fi is worth uh, exploring as well. Uh, he bent my mind in several different shapes with a couple of stories that he sent me a while ago. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier, and joining me today in the pod is uh, Tom Crosshill, aka Tom's Kreitzbergs. Uh, I forgot to do my usual weather check at the beginning of the podcast. My desperate attempt to provide some sort of introduction to the podcast. So I'll I'll do it now instead. It's a moderately nice day. Would that be fair to say, Tom? Do you think moderately think nice? So day? for Latvia, it's actually quite nice. Yeah, and I even saw the uh, Latvia's weatherman, Tom's Blitzis, who's like the TV weatherman, walking around on the way to the podcast here, wearing shorts, which I think may constitute subliminal advertising. But um, uh, we'll get back to the subject in hand, which is the uh, thrilling and upbeat 
topic of pensions. I say that in a slightly sarcastic tone because generally people regard pensions as something which is a little bit dull, but you're attempting to inject a bit of life into the uh, pensions market with Indexo. Now, before we start the uh, conversation or discussion about this, I should say other pensions are available. This is not an endorsement for any particular pension plan, but it's interesting that, as we say, in the sometimes stayed world of pensions, we have a new player uh, with a lot of younger faces behind it. So could you tell us a little bit about what Indexo is and why you feel it's required? So in Latvia, nobody believes that they will get a pension, or at least that's the impression we get sometimes when you talk on social media or in real life. A lot of people are saying, oh, we will not have any pension. It's all hopeless. And that's that's really not helpful. So it's true that there are some difficulties. Uh, the demographic uh, situation really is not good, which, which is not good for the future. But at the same time, uh, we have a pension system which has the potential to give us decent pensions after 20, 30, 40 years if we make good use of it, if we pay attention to it. Uh, and a lot of people are not aware of it, so we just have this nihilistic approach. Oh, it's, it's all bad. Nothing is going to... There's going to be no money for me, no pension for me. I, I cannot rely on anything. Uh, the reality of the situation is that so in, in Latvia, you have this three-pillar pension system. The first pillar is uh, you pay taxes today, and that money goes to pensioners today. And that system is in a bit of trouble because as demographics get worse, uh, there will be fewer people to pay taxes and more pensioners. And, you know, it's, it's hard to hope for a very good pension there. But the second and third pillars, uh, what's called Otrais and Treshais Pensi Lehmans, they are a different matter. So this is people either through taxes, which is the second pillar, or voluntarily, which is the third pillar, pay in money into pension funds, pension plans, uh, which then gets invested and grows over time so that you have a bigger pension. And this is real money, real investments. This is not, uh, you're not counting on there being enough people in 10, 20, 30 years. You have, this is going to be your own money, which gets paid back to you. So this is actually a very good system. And um, I mean, mean, more people should be aware First, I mean, most people have heard that it exists, but they don't know what it is, uh, and they don't believe in it. And I think it's really worth paying attention to. So uh, that's one part of it, is that people don't care about it. And the other part uh, that motivated us to create Indexo is that, uh, okay, so the system, in theory, is great. But in practice, the second, especially the second pillar that we are focused on, this is mandatory participation pension scheme, has had very, very high fee levels for many years, meaning um, the bank subsidiaries which manage your pension every year have been taking a lot of money from your pension to manage it. Now, the statistics show it's the highest rate among OECD countries, uh, which eats a lot of uh, a lot of your pension every year. Um, so we got together over 30 Latvian CEOs, uh, some bank CEOs, some other like big company CEOs and um, investors uh, who, you know, we have our own pension savings that we want to um, uh, see invested better and, and with lower fees and more, more effectively. Uh, and we also saw a business opportunity there. So we created Indexo, which is a uh, low cost, passively managed uh, kind of approach to pensions. So effectively, you you are offering value because your fees are lower. 
Is that it, or is there something? So else? there's uh, two aspects to what makes Index so different. One is, of course, the reduction in fees, which is very necessary. For 14 years in this market, there has been more and more money, more and more profit for the banks, but the fees have stayed pretty constant. Is and, this uh, because of sort of lack of competition? Just or? lack of competition, and there was no competition because people didn't know about it, didn't worry about it, so there was no pressure on the banks to actually lower fees. So we are creating that pressure directly as a competitor and also by talking about it very loudly so people mm. start caring and they start asking questions so uh, for 14 years there was no movement and already now everyone's talking that fees are going to get lowered so we are already achieving that goal and the other difference that we have is what's called the passive asset management and uh, that's a bit of a uh, it's more, more of an interesting topic. It's not just about lower fees. It's uh, the whole philosophy of how you inf invest in the financial markets. So the traditional approach is that um, you hire a bunch of very smart guys who try to buy the right stocks, the right bonds at the right time, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, you know, be as profitable as possible over time. The problem with that approach is that those smart guys you hire here uh, are competing with everybody in New York and Hong Kong or wherever else. Uh, so on average, they are likely to get an average result or worse, and then they charge very high fees for it. Yeah. So you're expecting quite a poor result just just on the basis of statistics. And this actually resonates with uh, your novel as well, actually. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, if you've seen it, what it works like from the inside, then yeah. Um, and this is actually something that has been recognized worldwide. There, for the past decade or so, there's been this huge movement away from expensive funds which charge a lot of money and don't deliver that much. And so the alternative is, instead of trying to predict what to buy at what moment, uh, you have this passive approach to investing, which is called, also called index investing, which okay. is when you invest money in these funds that track financial indices, which means you in buy the whole market. You don't pick one or two stocks, you buy the whole market, uh, pretty much um, almost all the biggest companies in the world, and then you hold it for a long time. So you don't try to guess when the market will go up, you don't try to guess when it will go down, you just buy these companies and you hold them for 10, 20, 30 years. And the, the statistics show that at least historically that has been a very smart, uh, very profitable way to go. Because in the short term you have crises, you have bubbles and all these things. But if you can stay cool and stay in the market and just wait it out, then on average uh, you do very well. At least historically that has been the case. And our bet, our, uh, our approach is uh, to believe that uh, that will also be uh, the, true in the future and that this will be a smarter approach for uh, Latvian uh, workers and future pensioners. And is there any uh, added incentive or any commitment to investing in Baltic and particularly Latvian stocks and funds? So uh, this is a question that we get asked a lot. And uh, there is an argument to be made, like, uh, and, and there's definitely room in the market for funds which are more focused on, the Lat uh, on Latvia and on the Baltics. That's not part of our approach uh, for uh, a couple different reasons. Um, and but the main reason is uh, diversification. So uh, if you work in Latvia and all your families in Latvia, all your support structures are in Latvia, and then you invest a lot of your pension in Latvia, if by some unlucky chance when you need to retire there is some crisis in Latvia, then everything is bad at the same time. Uh, so instead of that, we invest there in a very diversified way all across the globe. Uh, so you're not dependent on any one region. 
And the other aspect that uh, I, I always talk about is, so sometimes we get very paranoid. We're saying, oh, all these foreigners are investing in Latvia, buying Latvian companies and all these things. And we think that's a bad thing because mm. we are now working for foreigners. Well, what we're offering is really kind of the opposite. You're buying global companies and, and people everywhere else in the world are working for you in a sense. So it's not, in that sense, the whole global economy is contributing to Latvians' wealth. So it's not like we're, you know, moving money away from Latvia. You buy something abroad and then the income from those purchases come back, comes back to Latvia. Yeah, so it's not that there's... Latvia, and then there's the world. It's that Latvia is actually part of the world. Of course. Um, It sounds a little bit analogous to some of the other things which are happening in the fintech industry, so things like uh, money transfers and so on, where that was also, to a large extent, based on uh, the banks being kind of bloated and having an almost monopoly on these things and uh, small, lean companies coming in, offering quite focused services, reduced fees, um, and as soon as they're able to prove their efficiency, prove their, their worth, then everything marches on nicely. I mean, is, did you take inspiration from there? Because it, because the, I guess the difference is a money transfer is something which happens in you know, microseconds, whereas a pension plan is something, you're, as you say, you're thinking about 20, 30, 40 years. Sure. I mean, what we're seeing around the world is that um, banks are, the traditional banks are becoming more of just an infrastructure provider. It's like where you have the accounts, where you have some checks and balances. Uh, but uh, in, in many, many products, they are uh, very expensive and uh, kind of fairly bureaucratic and slow to adapt, So, which provides an opportunity for new players who are willing uh, to offer better pricing, to be quicker on their feet, to come in and um, uh, and give a better uh, offer and, and get some market share. Uh, in the pension case, yes, there are two differences. Uh, one is the long time scale. So people always ask, so what profitability do you predict or how much will you earn? And in finance, in, in financial investments, this is you cannot predict this. What we can say is that our approach according to research, has a good chance of being successful because it's low cost and it's diversified. But we cannot like give you any clear assurances. Yeah. So for a lot of people, that's very hard. Um, and the, um, the other thing, of course, especially in Latvia, a lot of people have concerns about safety. So they're saying, that, oh, there's some new company. We've had so many companies that went bankrupt. Uh, so why people should we usually talk it? about Bank of Baltia or something. Exactly. And people lost all their money. Uh, and, and there, fortunately, in our case, for pension funds, there is a very good answer. Uh, the way that system has been set up is that so when you choose a pension manager, the money doesn't go to that manager. It goes to their custodian bank in our case it's Swedbank and it's held separately from us and from the bank meaning that we I personally cannot get your money I can only tell the bank where to invest it and they have to check that everything I tell them is right and according to the law and if we for example well I don't think it will happen but if we went bankrupt the money would still stay safe like our creditors have no access to it the same way if Swedbank for example I don't think this would ever happen but if they went bankrupt uh, also that money would stay safe um, legally their creditors would not have access to it we saw that with Parex actually when they went under um, other investors lost money but uh, the pension money stayed safe because it's legally protected and uh, speaking of sort of legal regulation, I, it's quite interesting to know w- what is the process of getting uh, a new pension fund 
uh, new pension investment vehicle uh, up and running in Latvia. Is it is it this something that you've been working on for years or for for months or? So it is quite an involved uh, legal process. Uh, you have to get a license from FKTK, the Financial Services Authority here in Latvia, and uh, that. Uh, that is not easy. Uh, there is a lot of work you need to do. We've been working on this project uh, since uh, since uh, spring 2016, and, and actively, like we started talking about the licensing process in the, uh, last winter, and then it took uh, quite a while uh, until we got there. There's a lot of uh, procedures to prepare. A lot of uh, you know, like everybody who is involved, their biogra- biography gets checked, their financial background gets checked. There's all, all these uh, hoops that you have to jump through, you know, reasonably, to make sure that the people involved are serious and uh, and that uh, you know people's money will actually be safe. I think that as well signals quite a change from what sometimes has happened in the past in that you, you go to the uh, the Indexo website and it has the names of some quite prominent business people and so on who, who are involved in the project or backing the project all there. Whereas uh, certainly with things like the boutique banks in the past, which were targeted towards non-resident uh, deposits, uh, it was actually quite hard to find out who was behind some of these banks sometimes and the, the, the real owners weren't always the people who were on the letterheads. Of course. One, uh, I mean, one of our key one of the key things we want to do is bring transparency to financial services because every day on Facebook or somewhere else we get attacked with all kinds of hate like oh you know fi- all finance is a scam all bankers are liars and all this stuff and as I guess long- we're probably part of the global conspiracy as well exactly then, right? <laughs> and, and as long as people believe this and as long as they totally distrust financial institutions they will keep uh, not taking care of their finances and, and keep like for example we, we just did a blog post about why you need to invest money for example which is such a basic thing for you know somebody like in the US or whoever who's a professional who like, but for here the majority of people don't even think about it wouldn't consider it they don't realize that your money over 20 or 30 years if you just hold it in an account or in a mattress loses uh, mm-hmm. can lose half or more of its value due, due to inflation and uh, investing is uh, basically the only way you can uh, uh, protect against that and it's vitally important uh, there's all these basic things that um, people don't understand and don't believe in and uh, part of the problem has been that the industry hasn't been transparent and there have been all these problems so slowly it's not going to happen overnight but we have to build trust uh, month by month year by year and, and slowly educate people and, and get people to uh, believe that yes uh, finance is something worth uh, looking at and, and using as a service well um, that's a nice upbeat note on which to uh, to finish I think so uh, thank you Tom for joining me in the pod today um, thank you certainly you know competition in the financial marketplace is to be, to be welcomed I think and hopefully it will result in a, a few more of us um having reasonable livings when we retire. Um, I'll be back again with another Minutes from Latvia podcast in a couple of weeks. Until then, peace labo. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Produced by Renar Steimans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv. <laughs>